0: Love it, love it. It's not a glorious job. It's not a job that you do because it has a sweet paycheck attached to it and great perks. It is a job where it's a lot of fun, and if you love it, it's extremely gratifying and it gives you the opportunity to probably find your personal limits that a lot of other jobs maybe wouldn't offer you.
1: There's a lot of sacrifice, and it is super rewarding. You're not going to be home for Christmas or New Year or valentine's day or birthdays that kind of thing if you know, the rest
0: of the world is celebrating you're helping them yes <laughs> i'm peter mcculley
2: that's warren barr and lily verney downey of pluvio restaurant which was recently named canada's best fine dining restaurant by TripAdvisor. we'll find out what they're doing to make their diners happy when today in bc continues
1: the West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself, with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestcoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network, exploring
0: all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos,
1: read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S., experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestcoastTraveler.com.
2: Thanks for joining us today, Warren and Lily. Yeah, our pleasure. It's
0: so nice to be here. Thanks for the invite.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Before we get into the kitchen and the pantry, so to speak, where are you both from? I'm going to say Vancouver, effectively. I got my family roots here in Vancouver, on the most part. I was actually born in Williams Lake, BC raised.
1: I'm from the UK, originally, and I came over to do an internship in Tofino about 14 years ago, and I spent a year there and went back, and then... It's a hard place to leave, so I came back 12 years ago and I never left.
2: Were you from a seaside town in the UK?
1: No, I wasn't. I'm half English, half Welsh, and I grew up on the Welsh borders in the countryside there.
2: Were your families an influence on your love of food?
0: I wouldn't say directly an influence on love of food. I would say that some of my mom and dad's kind of fondness for travel would be more what played into the fondness for food It's just experiencing other cultures through a fork was pretty impactful.
2: What are we talking about when we talk travel? Are we talking international travel?
0: Yeah. After a couple trips to Europe, I was lucky enough to go to college over there. I wanted to get into hotels was the idea. So I started cooking to earn money to save up to go to hospitality management school in Switzerland, which cooking does not pay like that at all, as it turns out. So fortunately, where I was working out at the time, my guy saw something in me and was able to get me into where I started my apprenticeship. And I landed in the kitchen and kept going from there. It was a good mix for me. I always liked chemistry and arts in high school. And cooking is pretty much the perfect blend of those two things.
2: Lily, was your family an influence on your love of food?
1: Yeah, I would say everyone cooked a lot at home, both my mom and my dad. My grandma is a pretty phenomenal cook. And she was a host in our family. She would host huge Christmases and Huge charity dinners in her home and cook for 80 people and have them sitting throughout the house. And she'd get up at five in the morning and start cooking. And I spent a lot of time cooking with her.
0: She did all this, though, just to add to the story on this thing called an Aga, which people over here, probably a lot of them don't know what an Aga is. I don't know. Do you know what an Aga is, Peter? No.
1: So it's this big, either wood or oil-fired stove. Yeah, it's got two ovens. It's got two big hot plates on the top. It heats the hot water. It heats the house. It's super temperamental. It doesn't turn up and down. So there's a hot oven and a cool oven. There's a hot plate and a cool plate. <laughs> and and kind of if you time, put right? too much stuff in it or it's, you open the door too much, it cools down. you got to let it cool, heat so up again.
2: is that wood or oil or both?
1: Hers was oil. Yeah.
2: We had something similar growing up in Nova Scotia. It was called a Kemac, Oh, yeah. And uh, you had a bottle on the back of it, which was kerosene, and you could throw wood in it. And it had a little blower and oven and a warming rack up top, and you could cook on it.
1: If you haven't had to cook on it much, as Warren discovered when he <laughs> offered to cook for my family one time when we were visiting. I think his... it
0: was our first time visiting, right? Yeah. It was it's like, a bit hey, of a nightmare. Great. I was cooking people or whatever it turned into. And. A simple roast just took forever, just everything about it. it. was enduring and frustrating and really educational all at once.
1: Really made us appreciate my grandma's cooking. <laughs> yeah.
2: So what's different on a Welsh Christmas dinner menu than North America's?
1: Roast potatoes. English and Welsh, roast potatoes, no mashed potatoes. My grandma would do turkey. But then she'd also do fish and she'd do seven different vegetables and roast potatoes and carrot and sweet.
2: So, Warren, you've had some experience working in upscale restaurants on both
0: coasts? Yeah, I was lucky enough to do my apprenticeship at Le Crocodile, so very French, classic French training. I guess the first probably six years of my career was pretty classic French, between there and working in France a little bit, and working at Bistro Pastis. And having traveled Europe a little bit and elsewhere, I wanted to see the rest of the country, and someone told me about this place, the Bay Fortune, which I didn't know anything about, but I was still in PEI, which as well I didn't know anything about because it's in the Maritimes, and growing up out here, you don't really know anything about the Maritimes too much. So it was a big adventure going out there, and I went out as the Garmanger, and 20 weeks later, they offered me the chef job, because I got there just at the right time for some transition and such, and I was grossly underqualified for it, but I knew I had nothing to lose, because it was on the other Mm -hmm. side of the country. I loved PEI. I loved the Maritimes. I tell Lily that I probably would never have left if there was a bit more of a winter economy out there, just the friendliest people, and I got to learn a lot about food on the sort of basic level there. Being in Vancouver, you work with phones really you call, you get a waxy box of vegetables with ice on it the next day and that's your sort of attachment to the food. But out there I was working directly with the farmers and seeing how much work goes into potatoes and carrots. And we had a couple acres of farms on Fortune as well where I worked with the gardening team and just seeing all the stages of a plant and sure there's the radish, but then there's the seeds from the radish, which are delicious, the flowers, like just seeing it all happen and Again, seeing how much work goes into it all was pretty enlightening and eye opening experience. That's what set me on the trajectory of wanting to develop a sort of a Canadian culinary identity as much as possible. PI was super impactful to me.
2: Lily, you spent your share of time in kitchens as well.
1: Yeah, so I originally was a cook. I originally planned to be a chef. I started working in kitchens when I was 12, dishwashing part-time on the weekends just to have a bit of money and then got into doing a bit of food prep and a little bit of serving. And then by the time I was in college, I was cooking pretty full-time outside of that. I went to university and studied culinary arts management. So it was a kind of a 50-50 combination of business management and practical cooking courses. When I did my internship in Tofino at the Wiccan Inn as a cook there and when I moved back as a cook, I met Warren, and uh, eventually the one thing led to another, and one of us had to not be working in the kitchen anymore. It was the <laughs> rules of the hotel, so I was starting to feel a little bit like I wanted to put some of my other qualifications into use, so I did some other things at the hotel and learned a whole lot of the other side of it, which has put us in good stead for what we're doing now
0: which now is running the business and I'm still in there chopping things and (laughs) Lily's making it all happen because of all that great experience.
1: I did originally want to go down the route of kind of following the Michelin star kitchens. And when I finished university, I went and worked at a two Michelin star restaurant in the UK as a cook. That culture that is portrayed as being quite aggressive and quite abusive and is all very real. And (laughs) going and living that for three months, I was like, I don't think I actually want to do this. I want to... North America is much gentler and easier and (laughs) they treat people much better there. So I went back to working in kitchens, but I didn't want to follow that route. So I went back to, to work in Tofino.
2: So you met working in a kitchen. It's amazing how many people I meet that tell me they met their partner at work. So did you get along in the kitchen?
0: I'd say we respected each other pretty quickly. It took Lily a while to understand me talking because I speak pretty quickly in the kitchen. I was... The sous chef there. So we had a good mutual respect, I'm assuming?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have said before, but I think respect is very important. And if we didn't respect each other in that environment, we would never have got together. And we definitely wouldn't have got together and opened a business together. (laughs) Going into that experience, I was coming from this experience of working in these kitchens in the UK and that style of management and coming back to North America and then working with Warren and the other cooks there and chefs there. Warren was one of the best chefs I've ever worked with in terms of his cooking, but also the way he managed people. And that was something that I think is very unique to him.
0: And managed you into marrying me. How did you find out about
2: the TripAdvisor Best Fine Dining Experience Award?
1: They didn't tell us. It was through guests and acquaintances that we started to receive these congratulations. And I think the very first person to congratulate us was Richard Norwood, who was the chef owner of Norwood's restaurant, which is the restaurant we bought? Yeah, pre Pluvio, in our space we bought Norwood's restaurant when Richard retired.
0: He at one point had gotten the same award from TripAdvisor, so there's a bit of a legacy in that restaurant space, which is cool, right? and you cool it there? This. Little space has been recognized twice under two different banners for fine dining restaurant, which is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, clearly something is working well. Yeah,
0: there is something is working all right.
1: Someone personally. buried something on that property at some point. That's A horseshoe? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> must be very rewarding to make so many people that happy.
1: It really is the TripAdvisor award. When we first received it, I wouldn't say we weren't excited, but we didn't
0: maybe put as much stock in it. as Yeah,
1: have. and then to really receive so many congratulations from so many of our guests and to realize that really comes solely from the experience that we offer our guests and solely from guests taking that time to write those reviews it's not decided by a panel or a judge somewhere or there's no industry politics in that it's really just down to what the guests feel about their experience so that is really quite phenomenal.
0: Where I think something we're consistently pretty blown away by is how many people go out of their way just to let us know. Reviews aside, people send us notes, people send us cards, people send us presents. People go out of their way, even if it's a month or two later, to send some sort of card or something just to say how much we impacted them and how much the the whole team impacted them and everything. And that's really nice. It's nice for us, for sure. But it's so nice to be able to share that with our team as well, that most of our team has been with us for quite a while now, a lot of people well over a year. And they're the ones that are effectively the ambassadors of our dreams into reality and make it happen and it's really nice for all them to get that validation too and see that all these details that we harp on and all these things that we make really important that might be less important to other restaurateurs. it all makes a difference and, and adds up to something.
2: Well I was surprised to find out speaking of your team that you have 17 team members that seems like a high ratio of staff versus 24 seats in the restaurant or is it?
1: They're not all working at once, so we're open seven days a week. We also have a small boutique hotel, so that includes two part-time housekeepers. A number of our team have had babies over the last few years, so we've got quite a few people that work just a couple days a week in the restaurant. And then during service in the kitchen, we'll have three cooks for that number of people, and then we'll have two servers, a bartender and a manager, and we have a dishwasher. So we have eight people working at once for 24 seats which for a lot of restaurants is quite a high ratio of staff to guests.
0: We'll fill those seats almost twice every day. And then there's the amount of work involved in every one of those seats, whether it's a three course or a five course, it's actually ends up being between all the steps of service, five to seven courses per seat guaranteed. That's it's three or five course that we offer, plus all the other little bits and bobs and extras along the way. So it ends up being a lot of running around and a lot of, clearing, cutlery, and glassware, and a lot of polishing, and glassware, and a lot of plates to put together. And that actually ends up being a ton of work for so few people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's nice because, because our team are taking care of fewer guests for each person. They are able to spend that time with the guests and deliver that experience that then is so impactful to people and get to know them and make recommendations and find a little bit more out about them and try to anticipate what they need before they... No, they need it.
0: A lot of our feedback we get, the guests are leaving reviews, whether they are leaving the server's name, so it's not just our server was. But there's enough time doing it this way for our team to actually form a bit of relationship with our guests. I think that at the end of the day, I think that's what makes more impact than anything we cook in the kitchen, is that the relationships are built with the people. Where did the name come from, Pluvio?
1: We were looking for something to describe what we love about the coast to really capture... A bit of the essence of Euculate. And we came across the word pluviophile, which means a lover of rain or someone who finds joy of, and peace of mind on rainy days. And we felt like that was pretty perfect. But pluviophile is a bit of a mouthful. So, pluvio <laughs> is where we ended up.
0: Yeah, that was as soon as we heard that, we'd gone through, so we batten around some other ideas and uh, maybe this, maybe that. And then that one came along. I was like, yep, yeah, that's 100%. That's it.
2: It is unique. There's no doubt about that. Now that you have your own restaurant, are you able to get out and enjoy all that the tofino Ucluelet area has to offer? Or is being open seven days a week and winning awards and being busy, does that make that more difficult?
0: Is there a surfboard in the back of your pickup truck? There will never be a surfboard in the back of the pickup truck. <laughs>
1: Usually <laughs> neither of us. Surf.
0: Yeah, we're definitely the anomalies. Yeah, But I would say having the restaurant has not enabled it, that's for sure. But I'd say being open a few years now and having a really strong team and people we can count on to take care of the restaurant on our days off has definitely enabled us to get out and explore. Getting a truck, which we did this year, definitely helped us get out and explore a little bit and get to enjoy everything that the area has to offer. We didn't do in surf. We started paddleboarding this year. We've had a bit more time and out. space and to get out and yeah, enjoy nature a bit more, for sure.
1: We get out mushroom picking when we can, and we serve a lot of things on rocks and shells and sticks. So those rocks and shells and sticks have to come from somewhere, so it's... <laughs> we often need a bit of a purpose to get out but it's whether that's going out to see if the mushrooms are out or going out to get the salmon berries or the salal berries or the thimble berries or getting the rocks and the sticks and the shells there's always something that we need to be getting at some point so keeps us out there a lot but it's definitely a lot of work
2: When Today in B.C. continues, Warren Barr and Lily Verney Downey talk about what goes into and onto the menu at Pluvio Restaurant, as well as a rapid-fire round of fun food questions. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media... You can search hundreds of local listings, all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. There's a movement today to create as many items or ingredients on the menu as possible, and I see that you've taken that to a new level, making your own soya sauce, teriyaki sauce, even polenta.
0: That comes from a desire to create a Canadian culinary identity. So what is Canadian food? There's all sorts of different ideas about it, but I think where I've landed with it is we have all these cultural influences, for sure, which is great because there's just so much to inspire us and for us to learn from, and so many sort of resources are drawn as far as culinary inspiration goes. But then executing these influences but keeping the product domestic i think is what makes that interesting we saw talk about making our own soy sauce and and misos and all these things we do and vinegars that's not just because we want to do it anything we make is better than anything we're going to get from a master in japan as far as making shoyus and misos and such but we're doing it using canadian product so our shoyu is 100 percent prairie grown wild rice we don't use any soybeans or anything in it we're using Canadian legumes and Canadian grains to do all these things ourselves. We just made our annual vinegar batch, which we used uh, ginger from Salt Spring Island to make. So it's really about taking what we have in Canada to create something and make these things that are familiar. But because they're made with something different, you we talk about our teriyaki sauce. It's made with this wild rice shoyu and this ginger vinegar and all the things in it we made and were grown in Canada. So it doesn't taste like any teriyaki sauce you might have ever had before which is neat because it's a Japanese anymore. People would be like, oh, I see you have a lot of Japanese food on the menu. So we don't really, actually, I don't know what it is anymore. I guess it's this Canadian thing we're pursuing where we've taken the influence and maybe the inspiration from a culture, but then by using domestic ingredients, created something kind of unique and special that we can call our own and call that really Canadian. That's where this making everything ourselves comes from. Again, I don't know if it's any better than anything anyone's done, but I guarantee you it's unique.
2: Well, that's a pretty high level of commitment. I looked at your menu online and it lists dishes many that appear to have Vancouver Island and BC ingredients.
1: We say that we're as local as we can be without shooting ourselves in the foot. So we still use lemons and limes and during truffle season, we'll get Italian and Australian truffles, but we also have truffles that are on the island that are really fantastic. When we can get them, we'll use those. And we work with the Tofino Ucula Culinary Guild, which sources produce from farmers all over the island they go out once a week and they visit all the different farms and they collect all the produce and they have a list from all the different restaurants and then they bring that all back and deliver it to our door so it gives us the opportunity to work with a lot of different local farmers which is fantastic
0: and then we've found some other farmers on our own that are doing some really interesting unique stuff whether it's someone in mission who's maybe drying some really great peppers for us or just even online shopping again for those dried corns and grains and things like that we can get from around the country. A nice thing too is just being small. Working in a big restaurant, working with a really small supplier that's doing something really cool. They're not producing enough stuff for a big restaurant to use. They'll just blow through it in no time. But because we're a little we're little and we change the menus pretty fluidly. If there's just ten kilos of something for this one farm. We'll take it. We're gonna make something awesome with it if we can, if it's a really great ingredient. So Being small and having this sort of commitment has really opened some doors to getting some really exciting product. And I think that's probably what excites me almost more than anything these days is getting some of this really exciting and interesting, really exclusive and unique product that not everyone can get their hands on, but we can just because we're small and we're annoying to these people and we eventually badger them (laughs) into getting it from them.
2: (laughs) Creating a dish is enough of a challenge, but creating pairings of the dishes with wines is a whole other thing. The art of one complementing the other, drawing on the flavour profiles. Maybe you could give us a few examples of some of the dishes and pairings.
1: Warren's food is particularly challenging to pair with. Lots of big umami flavours, lots of sweet, salty, sour all in one dish. We are fortunate that we have a really wonderful sommelier. Her name's Chloe Gravel. She's been on our team since we opened. So she works really hard to find a lot of little wineries that are working in the same way that we are, making something unique to that area that speaks to the land and to the grapes and to the people making it. So we have a lot of great small wineries that we work with. Actually, in 2020, we made a wine in collaboration with Avril Creek. So they made a wine specifically for us to pair with Warren's Food. It's a Cluvio Field Blend is the name of the wine, and it's a blend of Chardonnay, Gewurztraminer, and Pinot Gris. So it's really nice and bright and fresh, lots of acidity, but it's got a little bit more umami flavor and a little bit more savory notes as well. So that's been on our menu since we got our hands on it. And it's usually paired with the first course of the tasting menu, which has been a lettuce wrap. So some marinated fish with some smoked almonds, some fermented vegetables, some house-made Balsam. hot sauce, yeah. a little roasted garlic and garam aioli, and then lettuce and the guests get to do a little build their own adventure with those lettuce wraps and put them together themselves but
0: enjoy that, a glass of field of wine with it which does really well and we're about to get into the second batch of that right yeah so, so they them can,
1: yeah they did a 2021 blend for us as well so it's exciting working with a winery like that we did it the first round we really loved it we gave them some feedback on the things that we really loved about it and they come up they,
0: for dinner yeah eat they get a can, bunch of food we make sure we them lots they get to taste lots and then they have that when they go back and start working on our next year of wine and do the blending and such and yeah it's really cool
1: yeah and then we have right now on our tasting menu warren was talking about working with some of those really small suppliers so there's a Massa is the artisan sake maker on granville island and he grows his own canadian sake rice as far as we know he's the only person growing
0: that rice in canada. type of
1: rice in canada and he uses that rice to make a sake called Renaissance Sake, which is a little bit of a non-traditional style of sake. It takes the place more of wine designed to pair with more Western Canadian food. And this year, he allowed us some of his sake rice. Warren's been asking him for six years. And yeah, it was a good enough
0: crop this year that he had enough rice that he could sell to restaurants. He'll usually sell two-pound bags or whatever, but he's a bit hesitant to sell to restaurants just based on the amount the restaurants go through, but... I guess it was a good, a good harvest this year and a few of us restaurants were lucky to get a 10 kilo bag and so right now we've got a dish that's actually crafted to showcase the sake itself. So the sake is kind of the start of the show and we build the dish around it using the rice and very coincidentally it lands on the table at the same time we put our bread course down as well which comes with some of our house cultured butter that we've seasoned with a bit of sake kazu, which is the quarter of the solids left at the end of the sake making process is this kazoo so it's great that the guests are eating this course and they got where it starts with the rice and the final product with the sake and then the by-product with the kazoo all right there in this sort of rice story for them which we really like that's been a great pairing and sometimes we'll work backwards like that And know this chloe gets a really exciting wine in and it's fun for us to try to pair it with the wine
1: yeah normally we have, have to, to bend around the food but yeah, yeah. occasionally we Get the food to bend around the wine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is there a dish on the menu that you might consider a fan favorite? Probably the humdog, dog, eh?
1: Yeah, there's, I would say there's three things that Warren says will never change. One of them is the hum dog. So you can add a hum dog, anyone coming in, three-course or five-course menu. And it's a little piece of grilled and marinated Humboldt squid tucked into a homemade hot dog bun with some fermented turnip or cabbage, with shrimp and chili aioli and crispy shallots, and it's just a couple little bites of a snack to start off the meal.
0: That's definitely a mainstay.
1: The ham dog, and then on our tasting menu we have a little cheddar waffle that's our cheese course that I would say is probably never going to go anywhere.
0: And our candied salmon, which is one of the other snacks that goes with the tasting menu specifically, is a one of those kind of recipes I wrote it once, and... I never tweaked it. It was one of the rare circumstances where the recipe was right the first time out of the gates. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really good. And so that's become a staple as well.
2: What's your favorite pairing? What do you like to sit down after the restaurant is closed to maybe kick back? Is it a meal or is it a dessert or is it?
1: Warren's a big fan of Lucky.
0: I'd say mainstay is
1: cheese and cucumber sandwiches. Cheese and
0: cucumber sandwiches, maybe some co-op dumplings <laughs> and a glass of whatever wine we need to get rid of.
1: Yeah, the, I would say the eating habits of restaurant owners are not very glamorous or exciting.
2: <laughs> yeah, we've had the opportunity to chat with a number of chefs on this program, and it's always fun to have a handful of rapid-fire questions. Let's do it.
0: This is yeah. exciting.
2: Not too much thought here, but just fire away. What's your favorite recipe?
0: Favorite recipe? I'm going to say let's go with that. Let's go with that candied salmon.
1: Yeah, it's a good one.
0: Favorite ingredient? Oof, tough one. I love cooking eggs. I just love cooking eggs. That's a great time. Yeah, you All like cooking sir.
1: carrots a lot too.
0: I do like cooking carrots. They're pretty fine. I like unsung heroes of the kitchen. So rutabagas and turnips and things that people maybe don't think twice apart. I'd love turning those into something really cool and exciting. French cooking or Italian? French cooking, but probably Italian eating. What about that. Yeah. Favorite TV chef? You know what? I know Michael Smith and he's a really nice guy. So I'm going to say him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. or Electric. I already yes. know the answer to this.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stainless steel
2: or nonstick cookware? Stainless. Yeah, Lamb or
0: beef? Ooh. I beef. would
1: say Welsh lamb.
0: If it was down to Canadian beef or lamb, I'd take the beef. But if a, a slab of some English lamb or Welsh lamb came across my plate, I would definitely not be able to resist it. Seafood or poultry? Probably seafood.
1: We eat a lot of chicken.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. tough one.
1: Probably seafood. Probably
0: seafood.
2: Charlie tuna was the chicken of the sea. <laughs> and a great wrapper. I don't know why I just remembered that, but anyway. <laughs> uh, red or white wine? White. <laughs> if you traveled to any country to sample cuisine, what country would it be?
0: Probably Japan or a really lengthy tour of China and all the regions there, probably. Eh? I going to say
1: rural China. Yeah. yeah,
0: rural China would probably be pretty exciting. Yeah.
2: You've decided that you're going to pull together an all-star team of chefs for your new restaurant, and you can have anybody you want. Who's on the team?
0: You know what? I would probably not get any of these people, and I'd go to the school's, and i'd find out who finished second and third best in their class and get them that's a great idea
1: too yeah. many egos within the thing thing chefs in a kitchen team. Is a bunch of ego
0: <laughs> but you want people who are hungry
2: <laughs> if you could pass on a bit of wisdom to somebody thinking about getting into the kitchen as a profession what would it be
0: love it love it it's not a glorious job it's not a job that you do because it has a sweet paycheck attached to it and great perks it is a job where it's a lot of fun and if you love it it's extremely gratifying and gives you the opportunity to probably find your personal limits that a lot of other jobs maybe wouldn't offer you. You really have to work harder, you have to work fast, you have to work smart, and you have to be faster, harder, and smarter than you probably thought you could be. So that, I would say, if you're going to get into be cooking, have the right idea about what it's going to be and what you're going to get out of it.
1: Yeah, it's not an easy job. There's a lot of sacrifice, and it is super rewarding. You're not going to be home for Christmas or New Year or valentine's day or birthdays that kind of thing if the
0: rest of the world is celebrating you're helping them
1: yes
0: (laughs) i'd like to thank chef warren barr and
2: lily verney downey for being with us on this edition of today in bc if you have suggestions or comments send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca you may be part of our podcast mailbag segment you'll find today in bc podcasts on itunes spotify amazon iheart and google podcasts